talking about what's the club in uh, Santa Clara, was it? Santa Clara, new. What's it club was the first nightclub uh, that was only for teenagers. You could only belong if you were and 18, they took your card away just <laughs> because you were an adult then. I'll be done. And uh, every band, you know, Fritz Rabine Memorial Band, Syndicate of Sound, Chocolate Watch Band, chosen to all of us E-types at that time, all the b- better known uh, names in San Jose, all played there. And uh, Dave Valentine was the guy who ran the thing, and which he is still a good friend of mine, a close. And he has he is a virtual fountain of information about that whole year, the bands, all of that. And I can put you in touch with him. He is just astounding. But the acts that went through there, I mean, would truly blow your mind to when you find out who they are now. You know, San Jose, Santa Clara in the '60s. You know, and, and talking oh. to others. I mean, it was a pretty robust scene, but. You wouldn't know it today, so tell us something we don't. Well, know. you know that because all of that stuff went away and and just became memory, you know. But uh, did you ever hear the Continental Ballroom? I did. In fact, learned recently that the was, uh, the Doors performed there. Oh, I played with the Doors there many times. Uh, my really? high school band, the Chosen Few, was almost the house band there. We opened for Janis Joplin. I can't even count the times. Big Brother. We opened for the Grateful Dead, the New Delhi River Band. When uh, Carlos Santana and er, and Greg Raleigh and those guys had that, William Penn and his pals, we played with them. I mean, j- just amazing. And they had three stages in there. It was originally a roller rink, gigantic. So they, they put three stages in there, so there was always something going on. But we played there. We opened for the Circle, the Turtles. Uh, just you almost can't name everybody that went through there. And it was just, it was amazing. It was 50 cents to get in <laughs> to see Janis Joplin. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, and then, so what, this would have been what, 67? Uh, I'm going to say 66. Uh-huh. And probably closed. I'm, I never heard anything further, when I joined people at the very end of 1968, I moved to L.A., and so that was, I had basically lost contact with my past, you know. Right. Uh, and from then on, it was uh, the insanity of Scientology and trying to hide from them <laughs> and, all, and all that craziness, and, you know, I was just crazy enough to be part of it at that time, so that's but uh, I can remember, you know, being with Janice many times backstage where she was so drunk she couldn't get on the stage. And one time I was helping her up the stairs, and she just turned around and looked at me and threw up a half a gallon of red wine in my face. Oh, my. So, yeah, I carried uh, Janice's stomach around with me for a while. You, you, you have done a lot of things, but... Uh... Uh, someone, uh, or I think I heard recently, something about you were in the window washing business and you were, one of your customers was a technology notable. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. Well, I worked for a guy named Steve Gross who had uh, 
programmed building maintenance, it was called. And uh, basically, I was his window washer. And uh, Steve Wozniak was one of our clients. So <laughs> I think every other month I was up there at the castle, is what he called it, where he lives up in the hills in Los Gatos. And this place was, you know, as as a uh, teenager growing up who's got nothing, it's it, I might it might as well have been Disneyland. He had over those several acres of property, he had an actual paved go kart track. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this this guy was just so cool. Tell me about uh, Boswell's, you know, the, the scene in Campbell. You were a regular. Uh... Yeah, uh, Bongo and Guy was a duo of uh, Gary Pomeroy and myself. Uh, and, and Bongo was my... That, that listening to this will remember Gary was part of Daddy-O, right? And, uh, yeah, Gary and was then, a guitar player. And, and then Groove Kings and many other things that he went on yeah. to. Amazing guitar player. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great guitar. And by the way, he is a wealth of knowledge. He has what I call the the ultimate collection of rock and roll memorabilia. So he's got posters, films, record. I mean, he's got everything you can dream of. So I'll put you in touch with Gary to tap into his vault. That would but, be great. That would be nice. But, so that, to go back to you, you and Boswell's, I can only imagine what that must have been like, what kind of a cocktail, if I might say. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I'm I'm not too proud to admit that I fell into the culture, which you know what I mean without mm-hmm. <laughs> without, oh, yeah. without getting too uh, graphic. But yeah. anyway, we we played there every Monday night. I'm going to say for four years, and we helped put Boswell's on the map because for a while there, you know, they would people would come in. They say, "Hey, turn that down. We're trying to talk." And uh, <laughs> And, you know, finally, when we start playing it, you got to turn down. And we just said, well, we're not going to So what are you going to do? <laughs> we came here to play, not to provide background music. You know, let's stand in the elevator if you want that. So uh, it all of a sudden became a, a show place for us. And there were many times you couldn't get in there. We just jam-packed it. And our whole theory was, look, we're here to just to have fun. Anybody can play. You know, so we spend a lot of time as more entertainers than musicians. Okay, well, I was a I was a timid and shy kid, and so I realized to get any kind of attention, I would have to create attention, and you do that by showing off. So I became quite a show off, and I had the the natural ability to be funny, so I played on that. You know, that's what I did. I would create characters so that I could do this wild stuff. I could do anything on a stage but be who I really was. And so my characters took care of that, and I didn't have to take responsibility. Was the first incarnation of that as founder of Daddio? Yeah, that, that's when it became obvious. But, you know, in People, we had antics as well. You know, we had two drummers in People, myself and Denny Fridkin. And we would literally stop playing and just start wrestling and fighting on stage. <laughs> or, yeah, I'd be playing along and singing, and he'd get off the drums, come over and just grab me around the head and start choking me or pull me off the drum. I mean, it was just – and the rest of the guys said, you know, we're trying to play here. I, I was thinking about your performance uh, with Daddio that was 1978 on The Gong Show. 
What can you recall from what was going on behind the scenes with Chuck Barris or anything that we may not know about your performance? Well, what was interesting is, first off, we got a call from the people at the Gong Show, from Chuck's secretary, who said, we want you to come and and do the show, because they'd heard about us. So we said, look, we don't want to sound arrogant, but we're we're a little bit further than... Than a, than a garage act. We're not going to come all the way to L.A. and go through all that hubbub and audition. We've already auditioned, you know, and we're already well-known for what we do, so we're just not going to do that. So she calls back and says, okay, I talked to Chuck. You can skip the audition. You got uh, perfect tens from the judges, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. And you can hear J.P. Morgan said, I can't wait till they split the check. You know, when they gave us our score. So it was plainly obvious that it was, it was set up. And, you know, Pee Wee Herman was on that show with us on the Gong Show. He was in an act called Swab and Debonair. Oh yeah. As soon as this taping was over, I said, all right, they were dancing, you know, we were all dancing and the balloons were going. It was the end of the show and the credits were rolling. And I said, I'm not leaving here till I kiss JP Morgan. So. <laughs> Chuck Barris came up and he said, you stay right here on the stage. Well, I just walked over, walked right up onto the stand where she was. <laughs> it was great. Said, that's oh, it. My God. That's Johnny. what I'm doing here. So we had, we played that night with Willie Nelson at the, at the, Christ, what was that? The Palomino Club, the famous Palomino. Right. So. So uh, Willie was there, and Tanya Tucker, and Sawyer Brown, and Daddio. Well, I mean, how the hell did they end up on that bill? Well, as you well know, Daddio, we build ourselves as X-rated rock and roll, and we were rude. <laughs> There's no other word. We were rude and crude. We picked on everybody, and you know there was there was a theory to us that everything is fair in a joke. Religion, race, color, creed, nothing mattered. It wasn't, it wasn't racism. It was fun. We poked fun. Again, no filters. Yeah. So, uh, so <laughs> you know, fast forward, you know, 55 years. So you're with Jeff, Levin, and Denny, uh, and uh, you guys are cutting more music. Yeah. We, uh, got all the original guys back together, Jeff. Robbie, uh, Denny, Gene Mason, and myself. Uh, obviously, Larry Norman is no longer with us. Right. And and Albert Rabisi chose not to be part of the project. So the five of us continued on and wrote all the material and recorded all the material, and it sounds pretty damn good, I must say. And you recorded it where? We recorded this. This is great. I took apart my $200,000 recording studio, and I did all the vocal tracks on an iPad. Robert Berry that you mentioned now is an extremely close friend of mine. And I'll say this here in the whole world, I don't know a more talented person. There's uh, probably not an instrument he can't play. There's not an now. instrument he can't play. He can sing like a canary. He's the nicest person you'll ever meet and the greatest person you'll ever work with. In our people reunion, we did some stuff with, with Robert. At Soundtech, you know, which he still got going. Also, one of the very few people who could handle me. You know, when I got in the studio, he'd be, "Okay, we're gonna work." 
All right. That's how he put it to me. He was respectful yet stern. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> and uh, his father, when he had the, the keyboard shop there, Bob Berry's pianos and organs, and uh, they're just a delightful, delightful family. They really are. You know, Johnny, we obviously have some ground to cover, uh, and uh, we'll make a, uh, a date to um, revisit some of these stories. I, I want to go a little deeper with you and uh, people and um, talk about the Boswell's reunion. That Yeah. Uh, but know, the next yeah, time, i got to ask you a favor. The next time you talk to Michael Downing, I want you to just tell him you spoke to me and say, Miguel! I guarantee uh, I, he will howl. You don't have to say anything to that. I talked to Bongo, and he said, Miguel. Oh he got his nickname at Boswell's was Miguel, and I'm the one that named him. Again, I'm, I'm hoping that he'll be as uh, revealing as you have been talking about back in the day. I'm sure he will. Yeah, you just um, tell him to be honest because I know the truth. I, I am I'm thoroughly delighted to have reconnected with you. And, and um, me as well. And uh, I'm glad that you're still vertical. That is incredibly awesome and that we've had this chance to cover some of these things. And My pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Okay, buddy. Take care. Bye for now. Bye.